Good morning. I don't know um, how many layers you're supposed to have on when you're preaching. I know when you're hiking, you want to have about 20 degrees less because your body's going to heat up. So I'm not sure what my temperature is going to be as we get going. <laughs> so this is not going to be a hellfire and brimstone kind of ser uh, sermon, I hope not. <laughs> so anyway, let's pray and then we'll get into this. <clears throat> In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we thank you, Lord God, that you are present here among us. We thank you that you are God, Emmanuel, you are Christ with us. We thank you, Father, that you indwell and that you are present. And we ask you, Lord, I in particular pray that you would, that you would help me to keep the fidelity of the story and that the story would be heard and that your spirit would, uh, would be able to move among, among this and among us. I thank you, God, for your grace. I pray that you bless this time that we have together. Be with Kevin as he's away. In your name, amen. So I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to, I'm always looking for things, right? And it's really funny because when I'm looking for things, I usually will ask my wife, where is that thing? And then she'll say, it's right there above your head, or didn't you open your eyes? But I'm also looking for things like keys, glasses, uh, cell phones, wallets, um, and there are also more elusive things like love, acceptance, a mission, a church home, a home for your church, or maybe even forgiveness, healing, or happiness. We're all looking for something. What's so beautiful in our story is that the Magi, they too were looking and they found something. They found something that was beautiful. They found the very thing that struck the deepest parts of their hearts, the deep chords within them. And that thing was a person, was a savior, was Jesus Christ. He was the consummation, their goal. He's what they sought. So before we get into the text, into Matthew, I want to go through and sort of set up for you a cast of characters. These characters include Jesus, kind of has a quiet part, but he's still the star of this show. There's Herod the Great, whom I'm going to refer to as Herod the Not-So-Great. This Herod was not a good guy. Um, he is father to Herod Antipas, who is the Herod that we then see in the passion story of Jesus. There's the wise men. The scripture itself doesn't tell us how many. We've settled on three. We think it's a good number. Tradition basically gives them names Casper, Balthazar, and Melchior. It even gives them... Uh, some have beards, some don't. It even gives them races. One is black, the others are of darker complexion. We just don't know, but this tradition has, has sort of filled that void. There's also the star. The star is actually a player in our story as well. And then there's Mary, the mother of Jesus. So these are the characters that we're going to be looking into as we get into this passage. So I'd like you to know who the actors are, but now I want you to know what the context is. We got to know the context before we can understand the story. So God has been silent for about 400 years. We leave his last word was in Malachi and, it, and, and it's been silent ever since. He has started, however, this angelic dialogue. He sent out a few angels and they've been talking to very specific people and the silence is starting to break. And in that conversation, he's speaking to, to Mary to Joseph, to Zechariah, I think he even speaks to Elizabeth. He's opening the doors again of communication. And then he does that in a grand way when he comes to Jesus. 
So the star itself, to keep going on, excuse me, the other parts of this context are Rome. Rome has taken over basically the world. Israel is divided. Israel is um, no longer whole and no longer autonomous. They are a vassal state, a divided vassal state to Rome. And into this darkness and chaos, a light is seen in the night skies for all to see, but not all do. This star could be the conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn, which would seen multiple times in 7 AD. And these are planets that are associated with both kingship and Israel, respectively. If you remember in the, in the Genesis story, God said, let there be light, fiat lux, and there was light in his new creation. In this also story of new creation, there is a light that's open for all men to see. Regardless of the night sky, it was like our own internet. It was a place of news and where people would get portents. This is what people would do if there's something grand going to happen. They would look to the sky and that sky would be revelatory to them. So you have people who were just focused solely on studying the sky. The astrologers of the East, for example. But it was not just limited to them. Many, the Romans especially, were always looking for portents in the sky as well. So the sky itself was its own revelation, its own piece of news, if you will, for the people of the ancient world. What's interesting is that not all saw the star. Or if they didn't see it, or they did see it, they didn't recognize the importance of it. So let's get into the text itself in Matthew chapter 2. To set our scene, we have now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people. So there's a lot of things to unpack this. First off, what are they saying? These wise men from the east are coming to a Jewish king to find out about the king of the Jews. Well, first off, let's talk a little bit about this. Bethlehem. We have this almost idyllic perspective of what Bethlehem is. We think of, you know, lowing uh, animals and Jesus in a manger. And we have this beautiful picture of this happy birth experience. And it's just all clean and sanitized. Bethlehem had a reputation of being a cesspool. Bethlehem had a place, had a reputation of being of ill repute. Bethlehem had some nasty stuff happening happen in it during the time of the judges. And it really wasn't a place you'd want to be from or go to. In fact, the name, the name was found, it was actually named after a fertility, a Canaanite fertility goddess, Lehem. So Bethlehem is not a place you'd really want to claim. And that's where the king, the most high king, is coming from. Bethlehem was, it did have a place of significance in that it was also the city of David. David was actually born or from Bethlehem, and he actually was crowned in Bethlehem. So that's the happy points. But remember about David? He was the least of the least. He was the most likely to not be selected king. Bethlehem seems to be a place for the down and out, the low, the downtrodden. 
And that's where they're going to see the king, the most high. So they're heading to Bethlehem, or they heard that this, um, this new king has come to or has been born in Bethlehem, and they're coming from the east. What's significant about the east? Well, who else came from the east that we know from the Bible? Abraham came out of the land of the Chaldeans, out of Ur, and he, on his quest for truth, left his family, left his land, and headed west, headed out of the land of Chaldea. He was the father of Israel. These wise men are also a part of or indicative of a new Israel that's coming. The East also signifies a new beginning. It's where our sun rises every day, rises in the East. This is God's way of saying something new, something big is happening. Get ready for it. So then we move to what these guys were, these magi. They're sages, they're priests, they're astronomers. They're not rulers. What's really key about these fellows is they're not Jews, yet they know about and are concerned about the king of the Jews. They had their eyes open in expectation, their minds were filled with curiosity, and their bodies and wills were motivated by the pursuit of truth, and ultimately that truth was Jesus. So they came to Herod. Herod, the not-so-great, was a convert to Judaism of mixed blood. He had an Edomite father and an Arabian mother. So if you understood the Jewish sensibilities of the time, you would understand that someone who was not a born Jew would be highly suspect. And yet this is the man who's converted allegedly, purportedly, to Judaism to rule over the Jews. He was not held in high esteem. He did try to buy the goodwill of the people by rebuilding the temple, by engaging in all kinds of construction that was going on at the time. And the West Wall that's still in Jerusalem today, that's actually was built by this Herod. Problem is he lived a decadent life. He was paranoid. He didn't trust much of anybody, including his family. He had many of his children as well as his wife killed because he was afraid they were after his throne. He was a contemporary of Julius Caesar and Mark Anthony. He was a lackey of Rome. The power he held was because of his connections with Rome. He was a career politician, paranoid, grasping, clawing, and cunning. He did not notice the star. He had to have three men from out of country pointed out to him. He was concerned with his own concerns, not the concerns of the heavens. But what he did realize, when they said, it's the king of the Jews, that shook him. Because that was a direct threat to his power. And then he took an interest. He's a sweetheart. He basically says, guys, why don't you go and check this out for me? It's beautiful, his language. He's, you can hear the piety coming from him. 
So he goes and says, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Wow, how can you not say no to that? This is a guy who's got a heart for God, right? Oh, I think it's important. If you read the passage above where it's Micah and Micah predicts where he's going to be born, where the king of the Jews is going to come from, he also describes the type of king he's going to be. We heard that in the Psalm 122 that we read just earlier. He's a shepherd, a shepherd to his flock. Doesn't kill his family. Not a lackey to the Romans. For those of you who don't believe that the, the life and death and, and continued life of Christ don't have an impact on our current or even past political um, understandings, he basically drove a king to commit great murder out of fear. And that's later in our story. But let's keep reading. So... After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose and went before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to, to their own country by another way. What's really interesting is here, the star, it seems to go away and then it reappears and comes back. And not only does it reappear and come back, it hovers over a particular place. That particular place is the house or the home of Jesus. Just like the pillar in the sky that moved for the children of Israel in the desert for 40 years as they wandered, so too this star points to the salvation of Israel and us all. It guides these faithful men as they look for the king. The language that's described when the, the, the wise men come to the home, they haven't even gotten into the door. And the words that I can come up with were super duper joy. <laughs> if you read it again, and when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. It's a state of mind and heart filled with the highest joy, extreme delight. The pearl of great price has been found and secured. I don't know if you've ever been in love, but like when you, when you saw that person after you've been in love and there is this sort of electric feel that came over you like i can't believe that person loves me and i love them it's this feeling of deep fulfillment excitement joy i have to think something like that is how these men felt so these are academic types they're scholars they're kind of boring buddy-duddy types right <laughs> They came to find the king of the Jews, and what they found was a babe in the arms of his mother, Mary. The high king Jesus is embraced by his Jewish mother, while he in turn is clinging to her. The first person to ever worship and adore Jesus 
was his mother, a faithful Jewish young lady. The world came to her feet and adored her son. Overcome, these academic scholars from the East prepare a footnote for their treatise on Eastern stars. No, they didn't do that at all. The climax of their scientific and religious search results in the humble adoration of a child, the child. And their gifts are significant as well. Gold fit for a king. Think of this as the treasure of faith that we all give. Frankincense fit for worship. The treasure of adoration, another gift that we can give. Myrrh for burial. We're reminded in the birth of Christ, his purpose, his death. And then we're reminded of the good news. What we're called to do because of that life and death and resurrection. The birth of Jesus points to his passion. The next time he's referred to as the king of the Jews by Gentiles is by Roman soldiers who are whipping and scourging him. And they crown him with thorns. He's a man of sorrows that the world rejoice, rejects just as, king, just as Herod did. In part because he's dangerous to earthly kings. Why is he dangerous? Because he calls and claims a higher law. A law that's about loving your neighbor as yourself. About loving God more than anything else. These are oftentimes not compatible with the kings that we have in our own world. Yet we're called to live in hope and obedience through the strength of the risen Christ. I really appreciate how Peterson in the message captures the reading, the New Testament reading, which I didn't have you guys read this morning. This is Ephesians 1, 7 through 12 in the message. Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross, we're a free people, free of penalties and punishments, chalked up by all our misdeeds, and not just barely free either, abundantly free. He thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. He set it out all before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him. Everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet Earth, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and in everyone. That's our birthright. There are three lessons I'd encourage you to take from the story of the Magi. See truth, and you will find God. Once you find or are found by God, adore him. Worship him. That is his due. And third, live a life of humble obedience in harmony with the Holy Spirit. And don't do it alone.
It was three wise men, not one wise man. They needed each other as they journeyed. They needed each other as they secretively left, keeping the whereabouts of Jesus safe. We can't do it alone. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mm -hmm.